We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. The Christ-conscious believer. The consciousness of who you are in Christ. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get up and go out and then you're on the street waiting for a cab before you realize that you were not dressed. That hasn't happened to anybody who's sensible. Yes, you're, you're out, you're, you're by the road. They realize that you wore top. You didn't wear any bottom. You know, it's when you want to pay. You want to get your wallet. You realize that there's no pant, pants on. For brothers or even sisters, you know, trousers, you know, the British people call them. There's no trousers. You left, you didn't wear them. Or you thought you had a top on with your phone and you want to reach for your phone and realize, oh, I didn't wear a top. Why? Because you have over time entered into a routine of what? Consciousness. You don't even have to think about dressing anymore. You just, you know what you're wearing. You just, you know, it's like a dance, like a well choreographed Routine, you just go. Life is all about consciousness. Now you're up against the people who are, who are, who are promulgating it, all kinds of consciousness, or consciousness, self-consciousness, you know, higher consciousness, you know, new age consciousness, the inner man consciousness. And you, brother, are sitting down there thinking you just waltz through life and be everything you want to be because Christ has redeemed you. you sir, you need to walk in a much higher level of consciousness than every consciousness around you. And that is the consciousness of Christ. His person, his nature, his message, and his system. The next step of that in the next few minutes is that that work on the cross also brings about, so, so that, of course, that, that gives you the forgiveness of sins, you know, takes away the curses, you know, changes dispensation, and, and your, 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 your sins are now forgiven because somebody else essentially has been punished for your sins. Does that make sense? Somebody has been punished for your sins. If you came out, you were in prison for something, and then somebody came and said, you know what, I'll serve in his stead. And they, and, and they serve in your stead, and then you are released. You're released because you are discharged and acquitted of that particular crime. Uncle, if you go out and commit another crime, different to the one for which somebody else has paid the price, you are guilty. You see, and this is what religious people don't understand. You are guilty afresh. And you, you are liable to be punished afresh. Are you following me? Because now a case of double jeopardy. We paid for a particular thing. You then got up. Yeah? You were released from on, on parole or pardon. Or somebody took your place. And you now went out to go and rob again. Uncle, something happened to you. So your sins were forgiven. God is not mad at you anymore. You now came out saying, hey, let's go and find God's trouble again. Let's go and make God mad again. Is that possible? Yes, it is possible. It's not you. <laughs> Have you forgotten yourself? <laughs> He's saying, no, it's not me. God forbid that I can make God mad. Look at you. Ooh. You, like this. Do you know how many times you have tried? Put your hands up if you have never tried to make God mad. Put your hands up if you have. 
you know that you have deliberately tried to make God mad. How are you still alive? So you see, so here's what God did. <clears throat> and I'm hoping you get this. And if you get it, I'm even done this evening. Here's what God did. Here's what God did. God robbed himself of the ability to be able to get mad at you again. Because he knew that you like this, you, you, you like this. If we leave you like this. As Jesus left heaven on that Mount of Olives where they were watching him taken into heaven before them. Remember? And the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here this day? The same way you see him lifted up. God knew that if he leave you, you on that Mount of Olives, you would have said, ah, see how it's going now. We don't know how we're even going to feed him. When he's coming back, we don't know. And he now come and did film trick, film trick, film trick. Now he has gone to a better place. Mansion we didn't see. If he leaves you right there, right there, you already start to drive him mad. And it's either we need a fresh Jesus. <laughs> when this one has not even reached the father yet to supply the, the report, praise report. Because you know what he, he told Mary? He said, don't touch me. I've not yet gone to my father. He, he has not gone to, to do the praise report. We now start looking to recruit another Jesus to come and pay fresh price for you. Or since we know that there was only one Jesus, then now we have to kill you. You know how we told Moses, stand aside. Let me, let me remove these people. I will use you alone and start a new nation. So that you would try to reoffend God was not in question. What God now ensures is that he, God, can no longer be offended in you. And you know what that is called? Justification. So forgiveness by itself is not the end of the story. Because you can be forgiven for something and go and do another one. And you're in trouble again. So the, the resurrection, the Christ conscious believer Point number two, understands the twofold significance of the resurrection. What's the first of those twofold significances? Justification. Romans 4.25. Thank you, Father. So when we say God is not mad at you, you understand what we mean. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. You see it written there very clearly. Let's start from verse 23. And this, unfortunately, this is a, a text of scripture that is very, very neglected. It's, it's one of the most crucial statements in the New Testament that enables us to understand the gospel in its fullness. Very crucial. Very, very, very crucial. Very crucial. Very crucial. Romans 4, let's start from 23. It's the last verse, but let's start from 23. Now, it was not written. Okay, let, me, let me pick the pretext so we can understand. Let's go from 16, just, just, just so you can get more, more um, context. From 16, therefore, it is a faith that it might be account, according to grace, so that the promise may be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is New King James. 
18, who contrary to hope, referring to Abraham now, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. And according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Let me, let, me, let me pause and explain there that Abraham becoming the father of many nations has nothing to do with biological multiplication. So Abraham did not become the father of many nations because Isaac gave birth to Jacob and Jacob gave birth to 12 sons and 12 sons gave birth to many and so no, that's, not, that's nothing to do with it when scripture is talking about Abraham being the father of many nations. Think of Abraham being the father of many nations according to Hebrews 2.10 for we're speaking for him in bringing many sons to glory. Yes, sir. So many nations is nations as per those that have been saved, as per those whose sins have been forgiven, as per those to whom the ministry of adoption and reconciliation has been extended to, as per those who are coming to the father because the son of man was lifted up. That was the seed that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. That's why we are descendants of Abraham in that sense through Christ, the seed of Abraham, not Isaac. Isaac was just a type and shadow. Did he multiply numerically? Yes. Was that what the promise was about? No. Did he prosper uh, financially? Yes. Was that what the promise was about? No. Do you understand that? And just, and just throw that out as well out there. So when we say, you know, lift Jesus high, lift Jesus high, lift Jesus high, this is not, this is not the lifting high. Like you're worshipping him. Because if you lift him high, if you shout his name loud enough, he would draw men unto him. If you play the music strong enough, lift Jesus high. Lift him, 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 lift him. If you lift him, he will draw all men unto him. If you lift him. So now, God, Jesus now needs your hype and your cheerleading and your hoo 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 to draw men to him. It's time to change Jesus. That's not what he means. Because he kept reminding them, he kept reminding them, this time is coming for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And then he explains to them in John's Gospel that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man ought to be lifted up. And if I, the Son of Man, am lifted up, I will draw. It's the cross that draws men, not your praise and worship. It's not your praise and worship. Lift him up. Lift him up. If you lift him up, he will draw me. Have you heard yourself? Have you thought about it? Lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus. If you lift him up, he will draw men. So if we don't lift him up, he will not draw men. If we can't, if we can't draw men because we don't lift him up, then I understand why this, your God is so small that he needs you to lift him up so you can draw men. Time to change God. Yes, sir. Idolatry is so sat comfortably in church. Because we have versions of God that we have built for ourselves. Yes, We're in Romans 4. And not being weak in faith, he, Abraham, did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not wave out the promise of God. You see that? Promise. That's the context of this conversation. He did not wave out the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. 21. And being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. 22. And therefore, therefore, yeah, being strengthened in faith on the promise, therefore, on account of this, I've taught you in a local assembly when you see the word therefore, you pause and know what the word therefore is there for. And the preceding verses always explain that. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Why was it accounted to him for righteousness? Because he did not waver at the promise but was strengthened in faith, gave glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to do. On account of this believing, 
it was credited to him for righteousness. Does that make sense? Now, this statement, 23, says, Now, this thing, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, 24, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see righteousness, justification, the same word in the Greek used in reference to Jesus, but in reference to the raising up of Jesus. You see forgiveness of sins used in reference to his death. You see the imputation of righteousness or justification linked in reference to his resurrection. Are we together? 24. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus from the dead. Now see 25. This Jesus, who was what? Delivered up because of our offenses, our sins. Delivered up means what? To be crucified, to be killed. For our offenses. And was raised up because of. The word because of in the Greek means on account of. So it's not because of. But he was raised up on account of. Our justification. So our justification, and that, the only, that, that word, justification, is used only twice, that particular word, diakousis. Diakousis appears just twice. It appears in, in, in Romans 4.25, and it appears again in Romans 5.18. So the only two times that that particular word appears in the New Testament, Romans 5.18. Therefore, just as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in justification so the only two times that word appears in the new testament in that variable in the greek diakiosis to render one perpetually blameless so it was one thing for him to die because the soul that sins it shall die we love that scripture you know the wages of sin is Death, death, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, he died for our sins. He died, Romans 5, 8. Let's go from 6. Let's go from 6. Romans 5, 6. From, from, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In due time Christ died for or on account of. Does that make sense? Or because of the ungodly. Why? Because it was the ungodly that were supposed to die for the ungodliness. Do we understand? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone will even dare to die. Yeah? So somebody's about to be killed. If the person was not a good man, nobody would say, somebody would probably say, ah, um, so in, in, in the days of, you know, in the days of the military um, firing squads, for instance, Lawrence Anini was going to be killed. You know, imagine somebody coming and saying, oh, no, he's a good man. I will die in his place. They will, they will first of all look at you and say, what's wrong with you? What is good about this person? So, now, for, for a bad man, nobody will die. 
the premise of that is that the bad man deserves to die. Are we following? For a good man, somebody might trade their lives. Yeah, perhaps. For a righteous man, scarcely. It's showing you the, the gravity of what Jesus did. Hmm? Because verse 6 says, Christ, while we're still without strength, strength means the gospel, salvation. Christ died for the people that did not deserve for anybody to die in their place. In other words, Christ died instead or on account of people that deserved to die. Does that make sense? And so for a righteous man, let's see how the message puts it. Verse 7. Romans 5, 7 in the message. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. That's Romans 5, 7 in the message. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. Verse 8. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in a sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. So his death was a substitutionary sacrifice. Does that make sense? That's the justice of God. So God did not excuse your sins. He punished them because he's a just God. He's still of fairer eyes than to behold iniquity. If he sees sin now, he will kill you. The nature of God hasn't changed. So the issue that God no longer has, or the fact that God no longer has a sin issue with you, is because somebody else substituted for your punishment by his death. He died your death. The miracle is that you died with him. And then you are forgiven, but there's one more step. You ought to, you know how you did something wrong and your father went and bailed you? And, you, and then you came back home and your father tells you, get out of my sight. Has that happened to anybody? Get out of my sight. I don't want to see you right now. Go to your room. But he has, he has bailed you. Or your mom came out to chance that other woman in the, in the area that's trying to harass. And you know that it was you that looked for trouble. You know. Your mom too. Because you got your cheekiness from your mom. I don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> You know you got your cheekiness from your mom. Your mom knows it is this my son that looked for trouble. But she went out and she did Godzilla. Yeah! Dragged you in. Girlfriend, go to your room. Your price has been paid, but you don't have good standing. God ensured that even though somebody died for your sins, another element of the person dying is that as soon as you show up in his sight, you are acceptable. So God does not have to, let me use the language of what's going on now. God did not have to quarantine you for you to prove that you are now a good boy. God did not need to put you in self-isolation. Let me be watching you. This one that Jesus died for you now. Let me be watching you and be seeing that you just you qualify to enjoy the benefits of sonship. So let me quarantine you for a bit and watch you. Take your temperature and, and see how you're doing and, and watch you and see what symptoms you exhibit because I know you are coming from a very dirty place. It's just by the mercy of Jesus that, that decided to die for you that you are not consumed. So let me be watching you and see how you are going to behave. No, Jesus, God foresaw that. And Jesus rises from the dead to impute justification to you. So here's what happens. Jesus rises and you didn't have to show up before the Father on your own. Even though you had been reconciled to him. 
He literally goes for all of us, with all of us, because when he went before the Father, all of us were in him. Yes. So all of us stood before the Father on the very day that Jesus stood before the Father the first time after he rose. All of us, all of us, all the nations that have been saved, are being saved and will be saved. All of us at once and the immediate instance. Jesus presented us before the Father. And when he says, I rose, it was the chorus of sons that said, I rose. So when the heavenly host asks, how many voices are we hearing? The answer is one voice. The son as the quintessential summation of all the nations of sons that have been brought into glory. Shouting with one loud voice, I rose. I conquered sin. I conquered death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? If he did not rise, you would have been forgiven without justification. So it was crucial for him to rise. That's why in his death, according to Romans 8, we understand that there was a deposit of the Spirit of God in the body of a dead Jesus. There was too much at stake, too much at stake in the resurrection of Jesus for him to not rise. God oversaw it himself because it is in his rising that I'm justified. So when you see Romans 5, how did I become a sinner in the dying of the first Adam? How do I become righteous in the life, in the resurrection of the last Adam? His resurrection guaranteed my justification. So as long as Jesus is alive, watch this. As long as Jesus is alive, I can never be declared guilty. The only way to be able to trap me in guilt and convince God to flip his narrative against me and now become angry and mad is to make sure Jesus is dead. Oh my God, if the princes of this world had known me, they would have just left that guy. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They crucified him and they began to celebrate that he was dead. And they forgot that this was the one that has the key to life. And he died. And then he rose for my justification. He was raised up for my justification. He he raised up to impute every ounce of righteousness unto me. Every ounce of justification unto me. It takes the knowledge of this to be Christ conscious. Is anybody listening to me tonight? It takes the knowledge of this to be Christ conscious. The second dimension, I said the, the Christ conscious believer understands the twofold. Significance of the resurrection. The second uh, uh, implication of the resurrection is my eternal life. He rose, Jesus rose into a life that cannot die. The life he gave me is a life that cannot die. 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll close with this. He was raised up for my justification. How does does the TPT put this? Let me check. Romans 4.25 The TPT says, Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he had made us right with God. He was 
handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he had made us right with God. Who would have fought our case? Who would have told the Father that we are justified? First Corinthians 15. The Christ-conscious believer understands the significance of the resurrection and in this self, in the sense of our eternal security. 1 Corinthians 15, I read from verse 12. From verse 12. In the New King James. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? Give us the NLT. But tell me this, Paul says. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead? Keep going. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. In other words, the moment you displace the significance of Jesus' resurrection, you foreclose the possibility of yours. The moment you displace the reality of Christ's resurrection, you foreclose. So you become an animal. Live, finish in the earth, die, that's the end. You cannot wish anything better for yourself beyond your believing of the fact that Christ rose. So your guarantee for eternal life, your guarantee for eternal security is hinged on the reality of Christ's resurrection. Because if he did, he rise. Oh, faith is hopeless. Our preaching is in vain. Let's continue, 16. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. So the only thing that will make us die and not be resurrected is the fact that Christ's resurrection was a lie. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of all your sins because you cannot be said to be justified. Does that make sense? 18. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. <laughs> Like all them guys in Hebrews. Yeah. And even us in this era, you die believing in Christ that God will raise you from the dead according to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 that says don't mourn as those without a hope. You're lost. And 19, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Repeat that verse again, verse 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in this world. 1 Corinthians 15. Stay there in verse 20. Let me load it up in the, in the TPT. Ah. He died and rose and gave me victory. I have victory. I am serving a living God. His name is Jesus Christ. He died and rose 
and gave me victory. I have victory. What does victory mean in that sense? Not necessarily victory over devil, yes, you got that. Not necessarily victory over principalities and powers, oh yes, you got that. But primarily victory over death. Because now he died, he gave you victory. That victory is your now inherited inability to die. Do you understand what I've just said? Your inherent inability to be lost. Your inherent inability to be to be to be to be to be damned. That's the victory. The victory over death, the last enemy. That's the victory he gave you. So in Christ rising is the assurance of my rising. Do you understand what I'm saying? In Christ rising is the assurance of my security. Because he rose. Because he rose. I rise. In your name I come alive from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Referring to the day of the Lord that is to come. As much as he has resurrected me, in your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrected me. My resurrection expectation is hinged on his resurrection reality. His resurrection reality is my resurrection expectation. I cannot be lost. My soul cannot be damned. Because God did not allow his own soul to see decay. Here's how the, the Passion Translation puts it. 16. If the dead aren't raised up, that will mean that Christ has not been raised up either. And if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. <laughs> it will also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. Do you understand? No, no, nothing for your soul. It's just gone. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, we deserve to be pitied more than all others. But the truth is, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead. Oh, that is something to rejoice and jubilate about. The truth is, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, for me, if I were Paul, I can stop here and close the story. Because in, in, the, in the statement of that fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I have been raised with him. I have been raised in him. I will be raised with him. I will be raised in him. Because Christ lives, I live. Because he lives, I live. Oh, his resurrection was my resurrection. I told you that day when he showed up before the Father. It was all of us that showed up. Bringing many sons to glory is not rapture. Bringing many sons to glory is the fruit of what he did on the cross. All showing up to the Father and say, Hey, Father, here I come. And all of us shouted, Father, here I come. Yes, sir. <laughs> I come. Uh. We are the proof that Jesus got it right. Yes. Do you understand what I've just said? Yes, we are the proof. Yes, we, sons of God, are the proof that Jesus did not fail. Do you understand? So when he says that now, thanks be to God, who causes us, gives us the, the victory, and causes us through us, diffuses the knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge of his glory in every place, we are proof that Jesus got it right. Yes. We are proof that Jesus did not fail. We are proof he showed up with all of us 
bringing us straight. And God looks at a Jesus who had lived his entire life on the earth and had been without sin. Are you following me? And sees a Jesus who did not disobey any of his authority, but fulfilled everything, including learning obedience by the things he suffered. God sees a Jesus who went through endured the cross, despised the shame and has come into glory and God sees that Jesus and God sees me as that Jesus. Yes, yes sir, yes sir. God sees you as that Jesus. That's what Romans 5 means when it says by the obedience of one man. So the moment that Jesus stood before the Father, he stood with all of us who have believed. Mm-hmm. All, whether you know it or not, whether you have been conscious of, of it before now or not. He stood with all of us. And says, we rose. Look what I've done already. And there's billions of us. Nations according to the promise of Abraham in Christ. Because his, his righteousness was imputed to us. But Christ is risen from the dead. As the first fruits of a great resurrection harvest of those who have died. See verse 21, because I said some, some, sometimes I say stuff and they go, oh, Pav, how can Pav say this? When I said Romans 5, that by the disobedience of one man, the, the death of that man, right? And then by the obedience of one man, the resurrection or the life of this one. So when Jesus says, I am, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. He stood at the grave of Lazarus in John 11. And all of that was just an avenue for him to explain a a, a type and shadow of what was to come. Do you understand? Lazarus being sick and getting healed would not have explained resurrection to the disciples. So Jesus allows him to die. It's the death that will favor this thing I want to teach you. The sickness will not teach you anything. Sickness doesn't, no, no, I need to show you. It's not that I'm Jehovah Jireh, leave that for babies. I need to show you that I am resurrection and life. I want to point out something to you. Man of God, why did Jesus not say, I am life and resurrection? Because the life he was referring to was not the, re- the life before the cross. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's the resurrected life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life that follows the resurrection. I am the life you will receive after resurrection. Not that I am alive now and then I'm going to resurrect. No, 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 that was not what it was. It was the life of the resurrected Christ that he was leveraging in that point. And he stood there, he says, ah, you know, why are you asking me? Will I, will I, will I, will this guy leave? If you're, you know, if you're not here, my brother will not have died. I am resurrection and I am life. Let me show you how to bring something back from the dead and give it fresh life that it never had before. Hey, Let me show you. Let me show you how to awaken something and give it a life it never had before. Do you see any record of them trying, succeeding to kill Lazarus? No, but they were plants. They were plants. They succeeded to kill Jesus Mm -hmm. because the life they killed was a pre-resurrection life. (laughs) They did not succeed to kill Lazarus because what Lazarus had was a foretaste of resurrection life. Yes. Let me show you what's about to happen. Let me use Lazi to show you. Let me show you this. I am resurrection and I am life. He rose. Now see, verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 15 wraps it up and we're done. It says, in the, in the NLT, it says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now the resurrection 
from the dead has begun through another man. Yes, sir. 21 of 1 Corinthians 15 in the New King James. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the what? Resurrection of the dead. One man's death scattered us, killed us. One man's life gave us life. See 22, see 22. 22, put us in the, in the, new, in the in NLT. In 22, it says, just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be giving you life. Yes, sir. Why? Because he is risen from the dead. A Christ-conscious believer does not wait for a pagan Easter festival yes. to preach this gospel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You don't wait for Easter to preach this gospel. You don't wait until you go for a crusade in the village to preach this gospel. This is what establishes the believer after saving the believer. This is the hope for the believer. Christ crucified Christ raised yes. from the dead for our justification. Yes. One man died. All of us died. One man rose and all of us rose. And the life we now have is a life that cannot be killed. Yes. It's a life that cannot be lost. Yes. Yes. That's what eternal life means. Incorruptible life. Indestructible life. That's what it means to be Christ conscious, to understand the stakes that were involved in the resurrection of Jesus. He paid for my justification and he guaranteed my eternal security. He guaranteed my eternal life. Somebody, wherever you are, begin to give him praise right now as you came into the consciousness of this. Makusa prande kilidish. Imbaliko sura branda gadha lindo suse paladish kosuda mande kosu pratike ti embalada hados jengrotila diso prada we thank you father we thank you father gendo suse kadabaha thank you father He's the guarantee of my resurrection. He's the guarantee of my resurrection. He's the guarantee of my eternal life. He's the guarantee of my eternal security. He's the guarantee that I, I have life with God that is indestructible. He's the guarantee. He is the guarantee. He is the guarantee. I am alive forever. I'm alive forever. I am alive forever. I have indestructible life. I'm alive forever. I'm alive forever. Ma indos kosuba. Lenge susi tegridi. Jembali kosuzi branda kula isto sukatila daha. Mendege suzindo kuba liga dostoho. Mandege zegedi rosukotura branda gila doso subre digedista. Ampalade skotuze brenda gesto luha. In zebra de malos kosuze tila dos kondimbra dia dos ketije dia. Lengre bada soze brende gish to kuzahara. Malindos kosure brede dish to sukra tila brande gedisha. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection. Thank you for the resurrection. 
Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you, Father. I am justified. I have right standing with you. I was presented along with Jesus. I was declared acceptable. I was declared blameless. I was declared guiltless. Guilt can no longer ever, ever be imputed to me. Damnation can no longer ever, ever be imputed to me. Because the facilitator of my justification is alive. He stays alive, ever interceding for me, ever guaranteeing my acceptance before the Father, guaranteeing my eternal security before the Father, guaranteeing our eternal life before the Father. And we walk in the consciousness of this. We take what is ours on the consciousness of this. We exert our kingdom authority on the consciousness of this. We take our healing on the consciousness of this. We take our, our peace on the consciousness of this. We take our supply on the consciousness of this. Because everything is hinged on the righteousness of God in Christ that we are. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And by righteousness we come into the glory of the riches of his inheritance in the saints. And we take advantage of it with no apology. We thank you Lord and we celebrate you. Let's give God some more praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.